Today on the Illini Enquirer podcast, we're going to talk some Illini hoops with Mike Latour. Kind of a slow week for Illinois hoops as they kind of bask in that dreadful loss to Penn State. As, as Brad Underwood said in the postgame press conference, he wants him to walk around finals week miserable. But yeah, it's finals week, so not a lot going on with hoops. Uh, we'll catch up with Brad Underwood and some of the players who we weren't able to talk to after that terrible loss to Penn State. Uh, we'll be able to talk to them on Friday, so we'll get some reaction to them and see where the team is at. But Michael Tua breaks down why he was so disappointed in that game, and we did a film review, and it was ugly, but uh, I would encourage you to go watch that whenever I post it because it shows you why Brad Underwood was so upset. So we'll dive into that with Mike. But before we get to Mike, Want to weigh in a few things with Illinois football. There's so many things going on with Illinois football. Unlike basketball, um, football in December is just absolutely nuts. Uh, let's start with some recruiting before we get to the the coaching part of this. Uh, Colorado State tight end transfer Tanner Arkin commits after taking an official visit to Illinois. Uh, Tanner Arkin did not put up huge numbers, was not a big-time recruit, um, and when his two years there at Colorado State, um, didn't have huge numbers. Uh, like I said, I'm pulling them up right now as we speak. Uh, he's a guy that you know had 15 catches, 14 catches for 116 yards this past year as a freshman, played three games and redshirted. So he's got three years of eligibility, but 6'5", 245. And I'm not going to sit here and say, you should be really excited about this one because really in this offense, uh, how often are tight ends involved? And I don't think Tanner Arkin all of a sudden is going to be Sam Laporta. Uh, in this offense. I do think he can be a huge addition to this team because they need somebody along with Tip Ryman. I think Tip Ryman could take another big step forward, maybe be more consistent as a pass catcher, but be one of the most dominant blocking tight ends in the Big Ten and be a solid pass catcher. I I think he can be that. And Jay Lehman has said he thinks Tip Ryman could be an NFL player. I think that's a possibility uh, for Tip, but they need someone else to go along there with him. They have three redshirt freshmen, and Henry Boyer was a big big kid really good blocker uh, I don't think he's gonna be a dynamic receiver but I, I do think he can be a nice red zone option uh, and then you got two guys that can be dynamic receivers in Navion Cargill spider as they call him and then Owen Anderson those guys are a little bit more dynamic a little bit more fluid of athletes uh, maybe when they're running those seam routes they can be a little bit uh, more consistent as pass catchers and just getting separation and taking advantage of some of those mismatches right as big athletic guys with good hands, but are they going to be ready yet? Probably not. That's why they went and got a guy like Tanner Arkin. And, and let's be honest, like Illinois plays tight ends a lot. Uh, Tip Ryman had more than 500 snaps. Luke Ford had about 500 snaps or 400 snaps. Michael Marquez had about 300 snaps. Uh, so they used three of these guys a lot and, and on the field together. So Tanner Arkin had multiple power five offers, Illinois, Missouri, um, Pittsburgh and Oklahoma State. Those are all bold programs, right? Like, so if, if if you're questioning this one, he had several other Power Five offers where they think he can be pretty good. He was in an air raid offense that he didn't sign up for. He originally committed to Steve Adazio, played one year for Steve Adazio. He gets fired just in his second year, so Arkin was not planning on that. He stays while Jay Norvell, who had done a great job in his previous stop, he comes to Colorado State, and they struggled this year. Uh, their passing attack, even though they're an air raid, was awful. Uh, and he didn't get targeted very much. So he decides to transfer. He goes into the portal, and boom, he gets a lot of Power 5 interest. But he takes an official visit to Illinois. He's sold on what Barry Lunny and Brett Bielma and their history with tight ends, what they can do. 
So I think he's going to fill the Luke Ford role. And, uh, you know, Luke Ford had 10 catches for 88 yards. I don't think it's ridiculous to think that Tanner Ark can be, be better than that uh, in the passing game. I would expect him to be. Um, but his run blocker would be as good as Luke Ford right away. Maybe not, uh, but I do I do think he can be really good uh, there. So solid addition, not the headline grabber um, that, that's going to get your attention in the transfer portal, but these are the guys that can make a difference in your run game and, and just being a solid option in the passing game, along with a group of receivers that should be pretty strong next year if everybody comes back. Also, Illinois is hosting Juco DB, Caleb Patterson, for an official visit. He spent one year um, at Pearl River Community College. I believe that's in Mississippi. And uh, he would fill a huge need at cornerback. Illinois has been looking for a cornerback. They've addressed a lot of their needs so far. you got Avery Jones at center, Desmond Schuster, a potential guard option for next year, Tanner Arkin uh, at, at tight end, Vicario Harper at safety. Uh, and now... Caleb Patterson, Illinois, is in a great position for him. Is the main Power 5 school in on him. Indiana is offered. They were supposed to host him for an official visit, but Illinois gets in here. They have a great sell with Devin Witherspoon. I'm sure Caleb Patterson is really excited about that and how they have developed uh, Illinois defensive backs. So they're in a really good position to close there entering the weekend. I put a crystal ball in there. You guys can all see that on the site. I feel pretty strongly that they'll add him, and that means they're just whittling away. At these transfer needs, Kale Patterson, 6'2", 185, uh, athletic corner, long corner, physical. He's unproven at this level, of course, but he's a year into his college career. And then you put him in the mix with a bunch of these young DBs, right? Because that's what you have is a bunch of young, mostly inexperienced DBs. Tyler Strain, we saw him play a little bit. Xavier Scott. Got some experience, some of it difficult, but that's going to happen with a true freshman. Then you have Elijah McCantos and Tyson Rooks in the mix of corner as well, all opposite Taz Nicholson, right? So what you get in a guy like Patterson would be somebody who's big, physical. They're pretty they're pretty small at corner. Taz Nicholson's not a big corner. Tyler Strain and Xavier Scott are not big corners. I think they'd like to put Xavier Scott and Nickel. Elijah McCantos and Tyson Rooks are. But are those guys going to be ready? That's a big question mark. So they bring in Caleb Patterson. At least gives you depth. At best, he's a starter for you next year and someone that they think they can develop. And the staff, and Aaron Henry in particular, has been very, very, very good at that. So if you can get Patterson and Harper, you're feeling a lot better about having more physically ready guys to play. Though I do think you'll go through some growing pains in a secondary that loses four starters, including three All-Big Ten guys, and one consensus All-American, but they have addressed those needs. Uh, of course, the big one, the big need that is left is quarterback. And then, of course, defensive line. If you do lose Johnny Newton and or Keith Randolph, that will become a bigger need. If you lose a linebacker, whether it's Tariq Barnes or, or Calvin Hart, I don't know those guys come back for another year, that would obviously become a bigger need uh, and any other kind of portal uh, option. But the other big need left on the board, of course, his quarterback, and, and I was updating my scholarship grid here, and when you see it actually in physical form, like sitting in front of you, and you see one scholarship quarterback that you know of on the roster, uh, and that's Donovan Leary, a redshirt freshman who was the fourth quarterback this year. Because, yeah, that's a glaring need. Of course, Kirkland Michaud is in the mix there. Cal Swanson coming in as a freshman. He got a couple walk-ons and Jake Huber and Jameson Sheehan. So you have guys in the quarterback room, um, but you need a starter. 
And whether that's Tommy DeVito or Devin Leary or other transfer, I hope we find out in the next couple of weeks, and I expect we will find out uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we talked to Brett Beam on Saturday. I don't know if he'll give us an answer then, but I'm sure it will be asked. A few other things. Roderick Pierce commits to Michigan. Boy, this is a double burn, wasn't it? Uh, he was one of the most important guys in the class for me. Uh, top 10 defensive tackle or top 10 prospect in the state, excuse me. Best defensive lineman, defensive tackle uh, for me in, in the state. Um, Chicago brother Rice kid. Program's been pretty good, actually, to, to Illinois. And, you know, when he decommitted from Wisconsin, it certainly felt like Michigan was going to be the leader. But then you got him on an official visit, and there was some cautious optimism that that maybe Illinois could break through here, that the relationship there would pay off. I don't think this had much to do with Ryan Walters. I just think this was Michigan being Michigan. And Roderick Pierce going to the best program that, that it offered him, and I can't blame him for that. But, boy, that one hurt because it felt like he had another chance at him, like a real chance at him when he hosted him for that official visit. And he couldn't get him twice uh, to, to Big Ten rivals. So you still got some work to do in-state, especially for some of those top ten uh, in-state kids. Keyshawn Blackstock also would have been surprised, didn't have Illinois in his top five. Uh, apparently, if Keyshawn Blackstock visited you, that wasn't a good thing. Uh, South Carolina, he, got, he took an official visit there, went to Florida State. He didn't have any of those programs in his top five, um, which is a little surprise. Uh, he had some really good ones, though. He's one of the best prospects, four-star offensive lineman. I think he could have played tackle for Illinois. Uh, but his final five included some pretty big-time programs. I'm sure NIL um, might have had a lot to do with this. Oregon, Tennessee, USC, Michigan State, and Oklahoma. Those are some – I know Michigan State's not a heavyweight right now, but they have been in the transfer portal and NIL and, and uh, all those other programs. Pretty dang good. Uh, so it's will be interesting to me – since they already have, Illinois has two transfers already on the offensive line. Desmond Schuster, who doesn't get here till June, so I'm not penciling him in as a starter right away, though he'll certainly compete. Uh, and then Avery Jones, who is a plug-and-play center, no doubt about it. He's a starter next year. Figure Isaiah Adams will be one of the tackles. I think Zy Chrysler is a guard, but he could play tackle. Jordan Slaughter, Desmond Schuster uh, could be in the guard mix. Does Illinois definitely go get another transfer tackle? That's what I'm interested to see. I uh, haven't gotten that feeling yet, but, you know, you can still go into the spring and, and potentially address some needs. But maybe they'll see what they got in Josh Geske. Hunter Whitenack, again, having a guy like Zy Chrysler who could potentially play tackle might help. And will you get Julian Pearl back? I think I still think that's up for consideration of whether Julian Pearl comes back. I'm interested to see if he gets any feedback from the NFL before that January 16th date. So I've said it all along. The guys I'm most interested in NFL draft decisions, um, you know, Chase Brown, could he come back for the right NIL money? Ponder. I'll ponder it. But um, Julian Pearl, Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph. Those are the guys I'm most interested in because I think it has the biggest impact uh, on your immediate roster um, when it comes to those NFL draft decisions. I've just always assumed Chase Brown would go. So I think we've been preparing for that. So those other three have kind of been – my focus. I think Seth Coleman uh, should be a guy who comes back. We'll see about the linebackers, uh, Tariq Barnes, Calvin Hart. And Devin Witherspoon, congrats to him, man. One of the best seasons I've seen from an Illinois player. You know, that says says a lot given we just saw Chase Brown uh, do what he did. But uh, Devin Witherspoon now officially the 21st consensus All-American Illinois football history. And he is the first since Whitney Merciless. That was probably the best individual season I've seen. Only the third 
since 1996. Jay Lehman was the other in 2007. And there's only been seven Illinois players be consensus All-Americans since 1966. That's David Williams, Mo Gardner, Dana Howard, Kevin Hardy, Jay Lehman, Whitney Merciless, and now Devin Witherspoon. What a story. Showing up to camp a couple weeks late or a week late, looking skinny. I remember him sitting up against uh, the tackling sled. It's like, man, this guy, this guy's got a ways to go. And then he ended up being awesome his freshman year and you know, maybe 165 pounds soaking wet, but but showing fearlessness and, and four years later, man, uh, he's probably gonna be a first round draft pick and make millions and millions of dollars. So it's it's been awesome to see. And of course we are waiting on who Bielema names defensive coordinator and whether Ryan Walters takes some Illinois coaches with him. Uh, we have seen Aaron Henry side by side with Brett Bielma on the recruiting trail. We've seen Terrence Jameson represent Illinois on the recruiting trail. So, of course, that makes you want, like, where's Kevin Kane? Where's Andy Boo? Um, I, Brett Bielma was quoted by, by our friend Tom Deanhart at On3. Uh, he talked to him after Ryan Walters got hired, and, and Brett said, he's going to try and steal some of my guys. Um, so it be interesting to see uh, who Illinois keeps, what happens here. Um, you know, the expectation, and I know Brandon Marcel said this as well, that Illinois would promote from within. That would all point to Kevin Kane. Listen, there's there's a void of chatter and information coming out of Smith Center right now, so it leaves everybody to speculate, right? Um, I would expect Kevin Kane would still be, in my mind, the front runner, but it does make you think, right? It does make you think, well, why wasn't that already announced? Maybe they're waiting to finalize a hire somewhere else to, to fill in the staff and just announce it all at the same time. So that's a possibility. But it's just, you know, why wouldn't we go to Jim Leonard and say, he's a free agent. Does that change the entire calculus of all this? Or did one of these guys go go to Ryan Walters that we wouldn't expect, right? Because all those guys got so tight and had so much success, and he's got a defensive coordinator spot to to throw at these guys. It makes a lot of money. It's a great opportunity to branch out and, and do your own thing. So we're all speculating probably uh, on that side of things, um, but I do think Illinois would, would want to announce this soon if it can. But Brett Bielma said he's been prepared for this and that in the coming weeks they will announce. So we will wait on the edge of our seat to find out what that is. But let's talk some basketball next with Michael Tulip, and he'll talk about why he, like Brad Underwood, was so disappointed in that Penn State game. That's next on the Illini Inquirer podcast. All right, it's that time of week. Catch up, talk some Illini hoops with Mike Latulip. And it's that time of year where there's not a lot uh, of basketball going on with finals, uh, Christmas break, all those different things. And, and Mike, though, we haven't caught up with you since uh, you were on the high. Illinois was on the high of uh, the mm-hmm. Texas win. And then, oh, you're reminded shortly what college basketball can be, uh, that these are 18 to 23-year-olds. And that basketball uh, happens like this. There can be swings. We're seeing it across the Big Ten. But a very disappointing 74-59 loss to Penn State that was largely uncompetitive for the for the final 15 minutes. Um, but what the heck happened there, Mike? What what happened to the the team that looked like a top 10 team in the country? Yeah, it was a great lesson for this team. Like I said last week, coming off that Texas win, it, it's it's what can make things frustrating when you when you do have a really good team and. Um, you can talk about ceilings and you can talk about potential. There's a level, but, but there's still a level of effort and toughness and intellect thinking the game that is required in order for you to reach anywhere near that ceiling or in order for you to 
realize that potential. So that Penn State game in particular, I thought was just a you know complete and total lack of focus. Uh, I thought there was some selfishness on both ends. We'll talk about the selfishness defensively too, because that's a thing. Um, and, and beyond that, I think it it should wake this team up in a sense. And I'm I'm not a big fan of like they needed this, they needed the wake up because I still think you have to reassess. Coaches do it, players have to do it as well. You have to reassess every game, and not just play the results. Right? We beat Texas, number two team in country. We're this good. You still have to go back and look as a team and as players and be like, where can we improve, right? Like this, you know, championships aren't won in December, um, right? You're not going to get crowned after beating Texas. So it's it's continuing that process of not thinking that you've arrived or not thinking that you are this type of team, even though as much as people want to tell you you are, uh, you, there's still so much work that has to be done in order to to reach that those those aforementioned ceilings and realizing that potential. So, uh, I mean, credit Penn State. They were they were well-coached and experienced team, and they came out and punched them in the mouth. Brad obviously went the attack them publicly route. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I texted a little bit. Like I, That was an interesting play. What, what did you make of, of Brad Underwood pulling that card out and throwing it on the table um, very loudly, right, yeah. after that game? I think when you've proven that the formula works, and when I say that, winning championships over the past few years, there's just a certain level of credibility and respect that you have in that locker room. And I don't think he plays that card if he thinks he doesn't have it. And I don't think he plays that card if he thinks that this has a chance to really fray this team uh, or have guys go in different directions. I think Terrence the next day came out and tweeted like, hey, he's going to get the best out of us. And that says a lot, man. When you get when you get put on front street like that, and you can run in a different direction, or you can handle it a lot of different ways. But I think ultimately, man, they've this team and this program has shown over the years that when he does this, maybe not that publicly, but when he does things like this, they typically respond. Um, and honestly, most stuff he said, we can. I mean, people get caught up on the delivery and the fart noises and and all that stuff, but he wasn't wrong. No. A lot of a lot of what he said was right. So I think it's you know he knows that as a staff you always have to reassess and what went what went wrong what went, what went right how can we move on to Alabama A and M um, and and then as players like I said you got to do the same thing and not just think it's an attack it's it's hey you know wading through the delivery of it what's the actual message and the message is hey if you want to play with that type of effort and that level of toughness you're going to lose games in this conference because there's a lot of teams that, that, that play with the, the right level of toughness and, and smarts and, and things of that nature. So I, I, I didn't mind it at all. Yeah. He, he attacked, you know, their effort in the leadership, Mike, when you watch this game, what bothered you the most? I just thought there was an air about them that was like, and we, it's funny, we talked about this even before this game, where it's like you can't keep playing the get-down-eight-or-nine game and just assume you're, the, you're oh, we're, ta- we're so talented, we're this, we're that. Because like I said, there's still, for you to reach that ceiling, there's still that level of effort, toughness, and intellect that you need to have. And that's what bothered me the most. All the mental lapses, right? There was just, you know, RJ gets yanked for not for busting a play and, 
they're you know when you're when you're trapping full court when you have that full court pressure if you don't have a guy playing free safety in the middle like they didn't on some occasions you're automatically going to be at a disadvantage so they com- they continue to compound mistakes and um, busted switches but you're not dead if you bust a switch you're dead if you bust a switch and then over pursue or bite on shot fakes on the way back and there was so much of that there was gambling some of the gambling that they did uh, RJ did it once Meyer did it once where you know sometimes you if you want to shoot a passing lane or if you want to try to to swim across you do it over the front you don't do it over the back because if you do it over the back there's still a a direct pass that can be made if you do it over the front you at least can change the direction of the pass there's more air time there's a tougher pass that has to get through but two times on on just entries they came around the back and it was just a direct pass to pick it and he drove down the lane and one of the times it was you know with nine and a half minutes left in the first half you give coleman a second foul because rj tries to swim across and steal the ball instead of just being solid pick it pump fakes and now you got coleman who's arguably one of the more integral parts of your team going to the bench and sitting so uh and, and then shot selection i thought shot selection was was terrible uh and not only just the the quality of shots but the timing of it mm. uh, there was a couple times i know sky made two threes in the second half but the two that he took kind of ended the game um you know one one was one that led to you know the next three possessions were three penn state threes it was a five-point game i believe at the time i think it was uh, or maybe it was 50 whatever it was 55 49 or yeah. 55 50 whatever it was it was a five or six point game and then in a blink of an eye it's you know it's 14 or it's 13 so or 52 47 was what it was mm-hmm. um and then the game was over that was it that a team like penn state like that it was blown assignments personnel stuff and that's on the players man i mean i know that staff is sitting there saying these are the guys that are shooters these are the guys that you know, we can maybe help off of. But with Penn State, there's not a lot of that. I, but I still think, and this is the last point that I'll make, when I talk about the selfishness, I thought there was some selfishness offensively. Uh, Matthew Meyer needs to do a better job of, even when you have it going, don't be a ball stopper. Yeah. Right, don't let the defense be able to set. Um, and then defensively, the selfishness that I saw was, shoot, it's not going to be my guy that hits the three. So, yeah, I'm just going to let you get back down by picket you know mercilessly i'm not even gonna try to stunt uh i'm not even gonna offer any help cool you got scored on in the post and i get there's an element of you don't want picket spraying it around and i'm I'm sure that's part of the game plan but basketball is deception man like that's what basketball is like i'm I'm gonna commit to you i'm gonna stun at you because i want you to pick the ball up i'm trying to help my teammate sincere gets put on an island down there sincere is a, a great defender but there's only so much you can do when you're getting back down and there's 11 dribbles back and down under the basket so i know i went in a lot of directions with that but there was a lot to unpack with what went wrong in the film trust me the film (laughs) the film review that we will do it is not a good one Uh, i think there's a lot of stuff you can learn from it but there are was a lot of bad stuff that took place two big 10 games two terrible defensive games um you know, we were interested to see how the switching works, all this different stuff. Pickett able to to post them up, all those things. Are, are you seeing anything, Mike, that the staff might have to change, or is it mostly just effort breakdowns? Like, what are you seeing there? Because that's that's two big time games where the defense has been really terrible. Yeah, I think 
look, when you put together a game plan, you're putting it together operating under the assumption that your team's going to play hard. You know, you don't you don't put together a game plan and say, this is the game plan for when I think we might come out here with 60% effort. So this is how we're going to play. Your game plan is always pre- and that's and I say the same thing with in-game adjustments. When you're when you're at that fork in the road, when a team's hurting you, it's you could think one of two ways. Do we overhaul our game plan or do we just play hard? And if you're a coach, you always want to err on the side of trusting your team's ability to play harder. And that's why the hockey shifts and bringing guys in that that's not just hey we're going to make wholesale changes let's just find some guys that that want to play hard because the group that did and the group that kind of kept that a game before sky had the two shots were the freshmen it was it was really the freshmen it was it was younger guys that that kind of kept that thing together and kept them at bay so yeah man I, i i don't think it's one of those things where you have to overhaul what you do but i will say when you play five out Right. If you're going to play five out offensively and guys aren't going to be great off the ball with movement, that really hurts you. Because I always say it, five out, you think about it, it's great because the paint is open, but the gaps to drive into the paint are actually less than if it were four out one in with Kofi. Like You can actually get downhill into the paint better four out one in than you can five out if you're not going to move five out. Because think about it. Like, if I got the ball up top around the wing, if it's five out, you got five players guarding the perimeter. And that's, you know, outside of the guy guarding the ball, that's four players in the gaps instead of three if it's four out, one in. So you got to be even more cognizant of off the ball movement and finding crevices. Penn State did a really good job of that. There was a, there was a time in the first half where Coleman came back in with two fouls. Lundy, it was a secondary transition. Lundy was dribbling the ball head up towards the top of the key at Coleman, knowing he doesn't want to pick up his third. And the four guys, four other Penn State guys, two guys on each side, the two guys just ran up and set flare screens. They weren't even trying to get anything out of it. They just want to occupy the other four guys on the court. And Lundy just went one-on-one and got downhill and laid it in. So I, I just think there's a level of playing the game man like thinking the game and it's hard like sometimes when Matthew Meyer goes rogue or Terrence is trying to get himself going you can find yourself ball watching and you can't like we talked about before make the cuts to make the cut to move the defense don't make the cut because you think you're going to get something out of it like make the cut to move the defense be hard to guard that's what you gotta ask yourself every possession am I hard to guard right now right if you're standing there with your hands on your knees in the opposite corner and you're not hard to guard, and the defense can get set. And then on the, on the defensive side, the other thing I'll say is if you're going to trap full court and if you're going to switch one through five, if you're not going to play with effort, that is a really hard system to play mm-hmm. and succeed in because we've always talked about it. There are always going to be defensive breakdowns, always. It just happens. But for these teams that are long and athletic, it's the recovery, right? It's the rotations, that's what covers things up. And if you're not going to be in tune on the rotations and the recovery, like you're going to start giving guys point blank layups or you're going to give guys tee up threes. So I know that's long winded and I apologize for that. But look, there's this isn't one of those things where you just overhaul what you do. It's how can we get more out of guys? How can we get guys to focus on the right things? And that's another element that you haven't dealt with. I mean, Iowa was a, was an NBA draft pick, but you got two first rounders potentially 
this year. You got other guys that have aspirations. Matthew Meyer mentioned it before Maryland talking yeah. about the NBA like that. That can consume some guys. So, you know, you can either do it that way that we saw against Penn State which didn't look great. I don't think that helps anybody's NBA draft prospects. Or you can do it the way that you did earlier in the season where guys were playing hard and, you know, showing some resolve. So, like I said, a lot to unpack, but I don't think you need to overhaul everything. Mike, the, you mentioned a little bit about the offensive lows now that, that are happening. I mean, some of these holes they're digging in, um, certainly as part of the defense, but they really stopped them. Uh, Penn State had, what, a five-minute scoreless streak, and Illinois just did not score enough. Part of that was due to the lineup. Uh, they had out there on the floor probably at the time because Shannon wasn't in, Meyer wasn't in, as, as Underwood was sending a little bit of a message. But since the UCLA game, Terrence Shannon shooting 39% from the field, 23% from three. What do you think is happening there? He doesn't seem to be as aggressive. Is that more, hey, Matthew Meyer is being aggressive, so, so Shannon's not getting the ball? Um, why are these offensive rules happening? Yeah. Terrence Shannon's game is always going to coincide with spacing. Just is. And their spacing has been pretty bad over, over the past couple games. And when spacing is bad, like it's 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 just not going to help Terrence. And Terrence can help himself too. Like there's times, and I'll show it in the film, where, you know, he needs to be, and he's capable of it, he needs to be more of a player off the ball right you're athletic you're quick you can make cuts back cuts like think like be a be tough to guard i keep going back to it are you tough to guard or are you not and i'm saying off the ball like when somebody checks in the game and they point and say i got so and so and that's you are they like oh, shoot like i gotta i better i better done my cardio in the off season yeah because you're moving right i gotta constantly be thinking and like for terrence his spacing has become an issue where Sometimes when guys are driving, he's standing at like 19 feet, like inside the arc. It's just, it's, it's kind of bizarre. You're in no man's land at that point. You're not offering an outlet and you're not cutting to the basket. So you're actually letting your defender creep in closer to help side where they can offer help and still get back to you. So look, you, what you don't want to be if you're Terrence is the guy that's like barking and, and talking and, clapping and slapping the floor and defending in the UCLA game, right? Like when you're hitting, going eight for nine from three, and and when, you know, you're um, going off against some of these non-conference opponents and chase down blocks and dunks in the open court. Like when it's hard, who are you when it's hard? And he's capable, man. Like he's, he's capable and he's a huge part of this team. And part of it, like he hasn't been counted on like this yeah. in his college career. You know, like, like last year, in that particular department, in terms of the effort and, you know, the flying around, I mean, that team was armed with guys, you know, more than any team in the country that could alleviate that. And now it's like, hey, man, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at Coleman. I'm looking at Matt Meyer. I'm looking at RJ. Yep. If you four are on another planet, they're not winning games. They're not. And and it, some nights it's, gonna, it's not going to be all four every night. You know, but if you can get three out of the four every night, just being everybody should be dialed in defending. The offensive production is gonna gonna have peaks and valleys, but man, they just need to help themselves yeah. more, right? And and that part of that is without the defensive miscues, now you're getting in transition a little more, you're forcing turnovers, 
um, that's where he can thrive. And look, he's he's still a, a tremendous player. I mean, I'm not letting 38 minutes of the Texas game and this game convince me otherwise. Like he's he's going to be right there for first team All Big Ten. These teams are game planning for him, and that's hard, man. That's that's hard. So he just needs to, and he needs to be picked up by his teammates too. Like this, you know, that's where the leadership comes in as well. Is hey, this is new for him. I know he's old, but this is new for him. And you know, someone needs to kind of step in there and be like, "Hey, man, like you're our guy. Like let's yeah. go, let's go." And when you don't, and, and when there's maybe some questions about who the guy is, that can be an issue as well. Right. So, which is, which is the reason I asked Brad about Terrence's leadership, and it led to the the fart noise and, and the viral thing is because he has talked about that so much. Um, but I, I don't. I hope people read the context of it and it was it was also Coleman it was also Matthew Meyer who's been there before oh, yeah. and RJ Melendez who's who's second year guy so it's not all on him but he's part of it and and now these guys are playing different roles than they ever have before which which you made the point of uh you do have to like that the freshmen gave this team life right like that was a, that was an inspired defensive effort from those guys um, especially Clark, I know he took some bad shots, but boy, he he made some that kept you in that game. Sincere Harris, I don't know if we can say any more about what he brings every night from an effort and just impacting the game in his way. Uh, he's obviously got some offensive flaws, but Ty Rogers gave you some life. Like that was really good to see. As you hope that can carry over. Of he's rebounding, he was being a little bit aggressive offensively, uh, and you could just count on his effort. So. I know those are baseline things for what Illinois wants, but I'm sure Brad Underwood feels good about what that group is going to be and what they are, um, even as freshmen right now. Yeah, between all those guys, you know, in particular Harris and Epps and Rogers and, and Clark, like for the most part, I mean, those guys have proven to be unconditional with their effort, right? Up 20, down 20, I mean, whatever it may be. I think you know what you're getting with those guys. And part of that, I think, is because they are the guys in particular that really don't have roles etched in stone, right? Terrence etched in stone. Matthew Meyer, for the most part, etched in stone. Coleman's going to play. I mean, all these guys. These guys are trying to put food on their plate, right? Like, these freshmen are trying to eat. They're trying to – they they look like they're going out there and, man, let's go, let's hunt. And I, I, I don't know if I see that. I certainly didn't see that from the guy. I shouldn't say I don't know if I don't see that as I don't want to generalize. I didn't see that from the guys against Penn State, the older guys, the 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 top guys, if you will. And that's a problem. Like that's you know, you you, you always have to fight human nature because I think a lot of us can sit there and be like, oh, you know what? Human nature, like you, you always want to try to find ways to, you know, obviously give effort, but fight the temptation of like hey, even if I dial it back to 80% and conserve, I still have this role that I have. Like and a lot it, of them have everyone, the luxury. Has everyone ever gone to the treadmill and be like, I'm going to kill it today. I'm going to run this much. And then, yeah, I'll just run this much. That's good enough. I'll put it on six <laughs> and a half. You know, we'll do, I'll do, a, I'll do a mile and a half. And yeah, no, I think you're, you're exactly right. That's a, that's a good analogy. And, and that, and look, that's, like I said, this, this team has to fight that. The older guys have to fight that. And um, I, I don't want to make too much of, of this particular game because I think we saw a lot of the the glaring issues even after these wins man after Texas after you're like yeah you know there's still some things to mm-hmm. to clean up we said it 
Like, and, and it just all culminated on one day where when you didn't want to play with that, that type of toughness and, um, effort, like in this big 10 conference, man, especially this year where people are like, ah, down near, you're going to get smacked up. Mike, I want to ask you this question. Uh, Dane danger is, is such an interesting piece of this team. Uh, he's been really good defensively at the rim. I know my boy, Isaac Trotter threw out some, some numbers of him yesterday, um, but teams can't attack him defensively with with the drop coverage, uh, and offensively, he not only just has like he, he can obviously score on the basket, something a lot of these guys, um, something you don't have otherwise without him. But missed free throws are as good as turnovers, and he's turning the ball over a little bit. So, just where do you think we are now with Dane Danger? How to use him? What his role is as part of this team? Just because I think as you go into Big Ten play, he's an important piece. But, but you know, some fans want to start him or whatever it is. But how do you feel about what his role is going to be? Yeah, look, Dane's been really solid. Uh, you always got to remind yourself where this kid is at in his college, you know, uh, career. He's pretty early on in his, in his college career. And yeah, analytically, he's been grading out extremely well offensively, extremely well defensively. The problem is that the areas that can end up really hurting you Right now, for him, it's it's the free throws and it's transition defense, especially against a team like like Penn State. So I like what he brings in terms of a changeup off the bench, but uh, that just wasn't the game for him. But the problem was you kind of had to play him because there just wasn't much effort in other areas from other guys. So, you know, I still think that 15 to 17 minute range is is his wheelhouse because I, you know, with him, I think they're just because he's he's early on and I, I want to. You know, given the benefit of the doubt here, but there is a law of diminishing returns when you have a guy like that and you want to start etching into like the 25, 30 minute per game range. Right now at 15 to 17 minutes, I think that's enough to get a lot of value out of him, but not too much to where those things that I think are hurting you in some areas are amplified. So, and the other thing too is, yeah, I mean, the way that you want to play, it, it takes you away from that. We've talked about that. You know, when he's in, you're not going to switch one through five. When he's in, you're going to go four out, one in. And um, and, and look, I, I know he's skilled. I know he's he, he's a skilled big man, but he's not Trevion Williams the way he passes out of the post. I think we, we want to think that. Like, he's just Jokic down there, but he's learning, right? Like, he's yeah. he still has to... Uh, continue to to progress and Mike. Just um, this is kind of what we have to say with all these guys. They've never done this before, and that's why it's impressive some of the wins they have. But he's playing college basketball like he's never played before. But he's just he's playing a role he's never played before. Yeah, and not to paint this with a broader brush here, but I I think what makes seasons like this, and if you go to a Final Four, right? If you win a national championship. It's got to be hard at some point, right? Right? Like, yeah. you know, if they just came in and overhauled this team and all these guys are playing new roles and you play these freshmen all the time and you just waltz to a 33-2 and two record and go to the final, you just kind of be like, oh, wow, yeah, cool. But, like, you're going to – the peaks and valleys of the season are, are what makes that NCAA tournament, postseason, March, that's what makes that special. Because you have to overcome a lot of things. And with Dane, it's it's all just a work in progress, right? And it's hard because if there was one week to not have a game like that, it was the week where you kind of had a week off in between, right? Like, it's 
and it just festers and it marinates and um dane in particular i i think 15 to 17 minutes i think that's where you can get the best use out of him and game script is gonna depend i mean that's gonna go up or down depending on game script um but i like i like what he's done so far and i think he's he's just gonna continue to progress yeah mike i'm not gonna dive into a preview of alabama a&m um no no offense to alabama a&m here but illinois is not the only team big 10 team dealing with inconsistency right um iu has lost two of three now two to really good opponents maryland's lost three straight against a great schedule Iowa's lost three of five, Michigan three of six, Rutgers three of four. Number one team in the country, just went to OT with Nebraska. That happens when you play Tominaga, my favorite player in the Big Ten. But this isn't this isn't like ridiculous. Like this is kind of what happens in this conference uh, that maybe doesn't have an elite team. People might argue Purdue right now with what Zach Eady's doing and what some of those freshman guards are doing. But this is kind of par for the course right now in the Big Ten. It is, and, and when you looked at Ken Palm before the season, it was this smorgasbord of results. It was 12-8, and 11-9. It was just everybody packed in to that, you know, with I guess with the parity and with the conference in general being more up for grabs. Uh, look, there's not a ton of rollovers in this conference. There just isn't. I think you know, years past, you're looking through the schedule, you're like, all right, you know, Minnesota, Nebraska – Penn State for a number of years. Like there were just certain teams where you're like, all right, we feel pretty good about that. But man, any given night, Nebraska beats Creighton. I, I albeit without Kalkbrenner, but yeah, they they gave Purdue. I mean, Nebraska had every chance in the world to win that game. Sure did. I'm that one possession where it was basically a minute, like a minute and forty five seconds that they had the ball and the offensive rebounds and the kickouts and the misses and the kickouts and the misses. But you know, you there's five teams right now in the Big Ten Conference that don't have a conference loss, and three of them have only played one game. So I, I'm assuming that that's it's, and one of know, them is Northwestern, and one of them is Northwestern. So this conference is still even sitting at zero and two. Like this, this conference is still up for grabs. Part of that is attributed to the 20 games now, where you, know, you can kind of you can kind of regain. And and Maryland and Penn State, Maryland in particular, I know they got whipped up on last night, but. You know, Maryland, Maryland is going to be one of your tougher games that you play. Uh, but I, I think when you look at the top of the conference in general, I'm the jury for me is still out on Purdue in terms of like, do I think they're the number one team in the country? No. no. Do I think that they're like national championship good? No. But what they do have is a potential national player of the year. They have a ton of skill, and they play their asses off. Consistent, yeah. yeah. Like they have consistent effort. They 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 value the defensive end, and look, that's just that's going to keep you in the game. It just is. And when I say in the game, I don't talk about this a singular game. I mean in the game. So you know what Wisconsin's going to be? Who knows? I, I'm kind of eh. Ohio State should be zero and one, to be honest. Um, and and Rutgers should be yeah two and zero. Oh. Um, but this is a tough league, man. Like I, Michigan too. It's like everywhere you look, there's 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 really really good players in this league. I think there's a lot of great returners that were kind of overlooked. So it's going to be a dogfight every night, and you don't want to start zero two. But look, you got eighteen more of these that you, know, you can kind of write the ship. 
Michael Tulip, it's a slower time, uh, but we'll have a bragging rights game to, to get prepared for next week. I uh, can't wait to talk to you about that. But thanks for your time as always, man. Appreciate it, man. Great stuff from Michael Tulip. Always appreciate his insight. And if you need more, Michael Tulip, he has a great film room breakdown. It's uh, it's kind of painful to watch, I'm not going to lie, but it's it's very enlightening. Very enlightening. Michael Tulip breaking down the Penn State film and, and why Brad Underwood was so so upset and why he was trying to nip that in the bud uh, with his post-game press conference. So go check that out uh, soon at IlliniInquire.com. Thank you as always for listening to the Illini Inquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, or review wherever you get your podcast. And of course, go to our YouTube channel. Hit that like button. Uh, hit subscribe as well. It's been awesome to see that community grow. Uh, we've been trying to do some more videos, trying to do some more interviews as Maybe the off-season slows down with football, if that's possible. Uh, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. I plan to do some cool things with the uh, signing day coming up. Of course, all the transfer editions. We'll be breaking that down on our YouTube channel as well. So check that out. And, of course, my brother was telling me the other day, man, it feels like you have one or two new stories every time I hit refresh. Yeah, because there's a lot going on. Uh, so keep up with it all at IlliniInquire.com. And uh, follow us all on Twitter. Of course, you know Derek Piper, at DPiper247, Joy Wagner, at MrWagner25, and myself, at JWarner247. Everybody have a great day. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Online Enquirer podcast. Bye, everybody.